0: Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. The same month the next fiscal year begins for the state of Florida, the economic expansion in America that began after the Great Recession will become the longest-running period of economic growth in history. That's not necessarily a warning, but it is a cautionary tale as state lawmakers prepare to do the one job they have to do, make a plan for spending your tax
1: dollars. We need to be aware that there will be a recession again.
0: This is the state legislature's chief economist, Amy Baker, speaking to lawmakers in January.
1: So that is something that bear in the back of your minds as you develop the budget for the next go-around.
0: The next go round is underway. Governor Ron DeSantis released his budget proposal on Friday. It calls for spending 91.3 billion dollars. That's up almost four and a half percent from this year's budget. 37 cents of every dollar would come from general revenue and most of that money comes from sales taxes. Florida's financial past and future relies on the consumer. And the Florida consumer, which includes tourists, is doing pretty good right now. We spoke with Amy Baker last week in Tallahassee. Her official title is Coordinator of the Office of Economic and Demographic Research.
1: The state of Florida is on very solid ground. Um, There's no challenges within the state that we're worried about. So all the threats we see going forward right now are basically external to the state.
0: What are some of those?
1: We're very closely watching what's happening with the tariffs. Um, They could have some spillover effects for Florida. We're watching what's happening with the volatility in the stock market. Um, We're, of course, we're watching closely the shutdown and um, what happens next from here. And we also know it's been a very long time since the last recession. And by the time we hit July, it will be an historically long time.
0: There's that observation again about how long the American economy has been growing. Economists like to say economies do not die of old age. That may be true. And Baker is not forecasting a recession. But she does warn lawmakers that the growth in tax money is slowing down.
1: We feel very upbeat, very strong, solid through the end of this year. After that, it starts to get a little bit m- more gray in terms of what will happen. We know there will be at least some softening.
0: What that softening looks like for legislators is less new money coming into the state. Since Florida pulled out of the housing collapse, state revenues have grown by an average of almost 5 percent a year. That's expected to slow to 3 percent in the next fiscal year and remain below 4 percent through the middle of the next decade. This is the tax revenue coming into the state government. Match that with expected state spending, and that's where things get a little out of whack.
1: When we project out how expenditures are going to grow in the state budget, they're growing faster than that incoming revenue to support it. We call that a structural imbalance.
0: This is not a far-out concern. Baker's office uses current state law to forecast what the state finances could look like in the future. She bases her predictions on how lawmakers have decided to collect taxes and spend money now, assuming that that will continue. Within two years, the state runs the risk of not collecting enough tax money to pay for its spending plans. This is not the first time this warning has been issued. It has been included in the long range financial forecast from the State Economist each year since 2017. Lawmakers have redirected money from trust funds into general spending to help make up the difference in past years.
1: There's definite hints, even in 1920, that we have issues coming down the road. By
0: 1920, Baker is referring to the next fiscal year for the state government starting this july
2: i always believe we've got more than enough money sometimes too much money
0: this is jose oliva he is speaker of the florida house of representatives his district is in miami-dade county
2: but what i do know is as the economic slowdown begins if in fact it begins in the next year or two what we have to be ready for and know is are we still the most attractive state to come to so because of new tax laws federally states that have state income tax now cannot deduct those from their taxes so people at a thousand a day are coming to a state like florida that does not have an income tax and has no plans of having an income tax so one of the ways that you combat a slowdown is to still be the most attractive option for people looking to have their lives in a different place
0: as speaker oliva will drive the agenda in the house especially in regards to the budget and he is committed to no tax increases we spoke with Oliva in his Tallahassee office before Governor DeSantis released his budget. The legislature's chief economist has talked about volatile times outside of Florida, not inside of Florida. But she's also talked about finding definite slower growth outside of Florida. The two previous legislative cycles, you've seen uh, revenue, general revenue, increase by 5% each year. This coming year, it's forecast to grow by 3%. Uh, how focused are you on that? How is that driving your consideration of, of spending programs?
2: Our first priority is always to look at what we're doing with the tremendous amount of money that we have now. And then we worry about what are going to be additional revenues. So the, the focus is always, are we spending the people's money in the most efficient way? Are we creating an environment? And I think the answer to this next question is yes, that is robust enough so that you grow your revenues organically rather than making greater impositions on people. And should those times come uh, of, a, of a slower or weaker economy, and they inevitably will, the, the economy ebbs and flows through an entire series of things that we neither control nor does the federal government, they're more global in scale and they have to do a lot with technology and, and everything else. Uh, should those times come, that we have shored up the state and that we have still made it the most competitive, the best place to move to.
0: Is this the time for focus on shoring up those kind of finances, given that we're 10 years into this economic expansion?
2: Yes, and and we have historically done that. So we put away about a billion dollars a year into our reserves to make sure that the state is very financially sound. We, uh we're also going after those things that are driving our budget, health care, making sure that we put the reforms in place because a, even the most minor improvement in the cost of health care has giant implications when it becomes half of your budget.
0: And health care is Oliva's main focus when it comes to state spending. We'll hear more from him on that later on in the program. When it comes to health care spending in the state budget, it is all about Medicaid. Medicaid is a program paid with federal and state tax dollars to provide health care for low-income people of any age. Next year, the state is expected to spend almost $30 billion on health care, most of it through the Medicaid program. Here's the legislature's chief economist, Amy Baker, again.
1: Medicaid program for the state of Florida is a very significant part of the budget and it is an entitlement program so there's there's limited ways to address that directly um, that is going to continue to grow in Florida and, and ultimately that's going to swamp the the good news that we have in the revenue forecast
0: This year Medicaid spending by the state is expected to be up by almost 10% from a year ago Federal tax dollars pay for most of the care, but the state portion is the biggest piece of the general revenue generated within Florida. While health care generally is the priority for the Republican leadership in the House, Democratic Leader Keon McGee defines his party's top issue more directly. We spoke with him via Skype. Medicaid expansion is our top priority. McGee's district is in South Dade County. He leads the 47 Democrats in the Florida House. That's the most Democrats in the House in at least a decade. Despite being in the minority party, McGee says Democrats will release their own plans for the state budget.
3: It will be comprehensive. Uh, We're we're deep diving. Uh, What we've seen in the past 20 years is that, you know, the narrative that the other side have put out uh, has always been that, uh, you know, we have to cut spending. We have to uh, re- refrain from taxing uh, individuals.
0: McGee says the Democratic budget will not include any tax increases to address their priorities, including Medicaid, teacher pay and funding for the environment. And he says he's not concerned about the predicted slowdown in the years ahead in the growth of tax money collected by the state.
3: I really believe there's not a revenue issue here. What we're seeing is a, a, a lack of courage issue here where we basically have moved away from prioritizing those issues that really affect Floridians and move so much more to those issues that affect major corporations. The revenue issue is, yes, it's going to slow down, but it's not going to slow down to the point where it's going to cause uh, the state to take a, a double look at uh, helping everyday Floridians.
0: McGee has not released his Democratic budget proposal yet, but he says he's been impressed by Governor DeSantis's financial focus in his first budget.
3: There is still more work to be done, but I'm okay so far with what I'm seeing. And and, and when you're when you're addressing the environmental issues, when you're addressing the education, uh, when you're addressing um, 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 uh, helping K through twelve, that those are the things that really sound the alarm for us to say, hey, you know, maybe we can work with this governor. Maybe we should give him a fair shake. Maybe we should be the ones to say, Mr. Governor, let's put aside uh, partisan politics and work on behalf of the people. And thus far from looking at his environmental stance for him to recognize that there is an issue in this state as it relates to the environment, I'm willing to say that we are ready and willing to work with the governor to bring about a budget that reflects the 20.8 million Floridians uh, wants and, and wills
0: of, this, of the state. How about working with House Republicans and the leadership there?
3: Yeah, we're willing to work with anyone. So long as they understand that Medicaid expansion is not uh, a bad choice, a bad idea. As a matter of fact, to, to say that we want to create a, a healthy environment um, where people are healthy enough to go to work, work their eight hours, knowing that they can come home from work and go out and have fun with the family where they don't have to sit around the dinner table uh, looking at bills as opposed to plates. You know, I'm willing to work with uh, this Republican legislature. The real question is, will the Republican legislature be willing to work with the Democratic caucus in order
0: to get this thing moving forward? Still to come, the Republican focus in Florida on the biggest slice of state spending.
2: Floridians are not making as high wages as they could because a lot of their compensation is being taken over. Just like their state's budget is being taken over by health care, their employer's budgets being taken over by health care.
0: This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Today we're talking about the state budget. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. When Governor Ron DeSantis rolled out what he calls his bold vision for a bright future budget on Friday, he did not specifically mention health care, even though it is the biggest piece of state spending and growing. Healthcare consumes a third of all state spending and about 40 percent of the state's general tax revenues. The state doesn't have much room to maneuver financially with its health care spending.
1: Within the Medicaid program, there's probably not a lot of, of options left in there.
0: Amy Baker is the chief economist for the state legislature. She puts the financial figures together for lawmakers to make policy decisions, driving the state budget.
1: But if you try to tackle the larger healthcare picture and the relationships and how healthcare is delivered, the regulations that Florida has—you know—how effective are they? Are they necessary? Um, how hospitals interact with their patients and and bill and charge their patients. So if you go after that larger picture where Medicaid is just one of the consumers, then there might be some ways to find additional savings or at least slowing of growth in those areas.
0: So go after kind of the macro picture as opposed to the specific pieces that are involved with the state budget.
1: A lot of the big things that you would think about in terms of the Medicaid program are probably um, already in place in Florida. So if you want to tackle health care costs in general, that's probably a different direction that you could try that we haven't gone way far down that road yet. Where you're not focusing necessarily specifically on the Medicaid program. But you're viewing the Medicaid program as probably the largest consumer among all healthcare consumers. So if you did things to try to disrupt um, pieces of that medical inflation that you typically see, those could have feedback into our program. And
0: this is exactly the strategy of the most powerful person in the Florida House of Representatives, House Speaker Jose Oliva. He's the first House Speaker from South Florida since Marco Rubio left that office in 2008. Oliva's district is a rectangle running from the Dade-Broward County line south through Miami Lakes and Hialeah. He's a veteran of the fights over expanding Medicaid, and he considers that debate over.
2: Medicaid expansion is the worst of all Band-Aids.
0: As Speaker, Aliva has a platform to drive his budget debate. One of his priorities clearly is health care spending, and he is thinking beyond the state's growing Medicaid responsibilities. He is thinking about increasing the supply of health care in Florida to help bring down cost increases. To do so, he's going after what he calls the hospital industrial complex, which he blames for adding to the higher cost of health care. We spoke with the speaker in his office in Tallahassee before Governor DeSantis released his proposed budget.
2: In the simplest terms, what's contributing to it is that hospitals, because of a situation that was partly created by governments, are able to charge whatever it is they would like to charge.
0: Isn't that true for any product anywhere, though, that companies can charge whatever they want? It's whether or not people will pay it.
2: Well, sure. It's true in a free market. So in a free market, you can charge whatever you'd like for your product. But if I don't like that price, I don't buy it. In healthcare, when you have a certificate of need monopoly in a particular area, you're the only game in town. I have to buy healthcare, or the state has to reimburse for that health care. That's not exactly a choice. And so a monopoly situation is created vastly different than an environment where I get to choose what phone, what car, what service I buy
0: that certificate of need is a state regulatory requirement that the state works with uh, local governments to decide whether or not a health care provider can open up in the case of a hospital so are you advocating doing away with that kind of uh, uh, system
2: yes that system has only bred regional monopolies it's, it's, it's allowed uh, single providers to grow their operations to enormous proportions, to swallow up doctor's office and diagnostic centers in an area, and not give the patient a choice of where they go.
0: So you would like to do away with that certificate of need for hospitals and medical service providers?
2: It it was one of the many large contributors to the very difficult situation we have today.
0: And what does that do then to the supply, do you think, and the effect of the cost to the state for healthcare?
2: Well, I would say what happens anytime that multiple organizations offer the same product? Price goes down, quality goes up. When the consumer is able to make choices, they will be able to demand because they're making a choice between one or the other. And so it will be no different in this scenario. The moment that there are choices and people can have certain procedures that maybe don't have to be in a hospital setting but could be in an outpatient center. They have different access to different doctors and different diagnostic centers. The price of those services will inevitably go down.
0: But how does that affect the state budget and the pieces of the state spending that is dedicated to health care? Because the majority of Floridians get their health care through their employers.
2: Well, the way that it affects the state is that the state gets all of its money from Floridians. So anything that the state pays for, a Floridian paid for. But outside of that, uh, the state also pays for a tremendous amount of indigent care and uninsured care. We have to be able to buy those services at a lower price because of the tremendous weight that it's having on our budget. Also, Floridians are not making as high wages as they could because a lot of their compensation is being taken over. Just like their state's budget is being taken over by health care, their employer's budget's being taken over by health care, and therefore they're not seeing the increases in their wages that they could see because a lot of it is going to cover those costs.
0: How do you legislatively answer this? Is it as simple as doing away with the certificate of need requirement?
2: Well, the, the, the most simple way to look at it is we legislatively got ourselves into this. So what you undo is you unlegislate it get yourself out of the way. Don't try to control everything that you tried to control that created this giant mess and let the market begin to work. Let uh, offerings and innovations and things happen in a way that empowers the consumer. When we do that, when we get out of the way is is when something will truly happen. But we, it, it, our focus should not be, how do we fix it? Our focus should be, how did we break it?
0: What about the role of price discovery and price transparency when it comes to this principle of free market within healthcare and what you're trying to push within your speakership over the next two years?
2: All of that becomes significantly simpler when the person getting the service demands it to be simpler. So there was a time when you bought a car that that car had no particular warranty. So it was up to you and what happened and mechanics had their way with a lot of people uh, in a lot of areas. Then, all of a sudden, people began to see that that was a problem. And as a consumer, they thought, I don't want to have to deal with these repairs of the car. So what happened? The, the cost of the repairs of the car was automatically put into the car. And when the cost of that had to be put into the car, the quality of the car increased. These are market principles that apply to everything in our society. They're indisputable, they're age old, and we don't let it happen in the healthcare setting because healthcare providers convince governments year after year that this is so complicated that we have to get in and control the entire thing, and we've made quite a mess of it.
0: One of those pillars of free market is price discovery and price transparency. And as ironic as it may sound, ought there be a state regulation requiring insurers and healthcare providers to have more price transparency? Would that go to address some of your concerns about uh, the, uh, the economics of this?
2: Well, to quote President Reagan, I'd say, there you go again. Uh, we don't need more government. We need less of it. Every time we try, to create a situation that we think is going to encircle someone from doing something that's raising prices they find a new way to raise prices if you really want to make people be accountable make the consumer or allow the consumer get out of the way and allow the consumer to truly truly be able to shop for price and for quality and when they can the focus of healthcare providers will be entirely around that
0: what is the role of the state uh, and the impact of the budget to have Consumers be able to shop based upon price and based upon quality. There's a lot of quality metrics out there. There's kind of guesstimates and different estimating tools for price. But as you know, to find the cost for someone who's insured to go to the doctor, that real price is oftentimes protected by a non-disclosure agreement between the payer, the insurance company, and the provider, the doctor or the healthcare provider.
2: Yeah, so allow another hospital to open up. Because what will happen is that other hospital will say, are you tired of not knowing what you're paying? Are you tired of overpaying and not knowing the quality you get? Well, come to our hospital. We've simplified the whole thing. The entire world is full of complicated things that have been made simple because of the desire of someone to sell it to you. Why would it be different here? So what we have to do is stop trying to corner the smartest guys in the room and get out of the way, and let them have to contend with the consumer. Let the consumer have some skin in the game. That is to say, if insurance companies can offer plans that allow people to uh, be rewarded with part of the savings that they find, then they will begin to shop. But in order for them to shop, we have to get rid of these monopolies, because right now there's not a lot of places to shop at. So you get rid of the monopoly. New places start up. The people can shop. The moment people start to shop, they're going to demand quality and they're going to demand price. That will drive prices down, that will increase quality, and the consumer wins.
0: Is your goal to slow the growth of healthcare care spending within the state budget or to actually have it have a year-over-year decrease?
2: If we can truly change the system, it will have a dramatic year-over-year decrease, but not just for the state. It'll have a dramatic decrease for insurers and for health plans and for private payers. It'll, it'll tremendously reduce, and, and again, it's a tremendous part of our budget. A 10% reduction would allow us to build roads and pay teachers more immediately.
0: What would be the impact on the health care of Floridians with a 10% reduction of health care spending by the state?
2: Well, the impact would be that uh, they, would, they would see more of their money in their own pockets. They'd see less of an imposition of government in their lives and the things that government is truly responsible for, which is building and maintaining their infrastructure and making sure that the, their education system is a workable education system would have many more resources to do that with.
0: Leader McGee has said that this is not about free markets. It's about ideology. How do you respond to something like that?
2: If if uh, if the uh, multi centuries old proof of market supply and demand and the pressures on prices is an ideology, well then I'm an idealist.
0: Leader McGee is Keone McGee, the House Democratic leader. His district straddles the Turnpike in South Dade County to Florida City. We will hear from him next on health care.
3: We believe our hospitals are doing the best that they can do right now.
0: Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening this week. Don't forget, you can follow along on Twitter at WLRN. Send us your thoughts. Join the conversation on social media. And also check out our podcast of this program and all of our Sunshine Economy programs. Just search for the term Sunshine Economy on iTunes. The top Democrat in the Florida House has a very clear priority in regards to health care spending by the state of Florida this legislative session. Expand Medicaid. It's an effort that has failed in past legislative sessions, and it has delayed lawmakers in recent years from passing a budget. Florida is one of more than a dozen states that have not expanded the program under the Affordable Care Act. It's been three years since the most recent effort to expand Medicaid failed in the state house in Tallahassee. But Democratic Leader Keon McGee says it is their priority for the session beginning in less than a month. We spoke with Leader McGee via Skype.
3: The House Democrats will focus on Medicaid expansion. We will not allow for and stand uh, idly by while folk in the state of Florida are suffering because of lack of health care. To say to 800,000 people, um, no, uh, we're not going to assist you with getting healthy uh, in this state, uh, it it challenges you as a person, as an individual. Let's be honest here. You remember when the government, the, government uh, the federal government wanted to give us $51 billion to help with this? That would have offset so many other costs. But because our ideologies believe that we need a free market and that a free market will best dictate and determine uh, whether or not Floridians receive uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, it's problematic also. Because let's be honest, when we're talking about a free market and we, we believe that supply and demand should control the agenda for the day— then if you remove government assistance from that type of uh, environment, that ideology, now you're shedding out people like women who who only make like less than 70 percent, 80 percent of what a man makes. You're setting out individuals who have been systematically shut out of the system and, and competing. Government should not be in the business of picking winners and losers. And if you want to pick winners and losers, you begin by basically taking away the, the opportunity to be healthy.
0: Leader McGee, the uh, House Speaker, Jose Oliva, has talked about the free market in relation to uh, health care uh, spending when it comes to the budget. He has talked about addressing that through through supply of healthcare services, most notably perhaps getting rid of the certificate of need requirement, trying to increase the number of hospitals, for instance, to address uh, supply and demand in what he thinks are vertically integrated um, uh, healthcare markets that help drive up the price of healthcare overall, which feeds into the state budget. Is that a strategy that you and House Democrats could uh, uh, could could support?
3: What we will support is this. We believe our hospitals are doing the best that they can do right now. You have to remember this, Tom. For the past 20 years, the Republicans have controlled the budget. They've controlled the governor's mansion. They've controlled the Supreme Court. they controlled the cabinets. So one has to ask the question, if now the ideology, and I call it an ideological tantrum that we're hearing and we're seeing, if now one wants to change this, this, this precept that they've had, it's an also an admission that they're saying that they've broken the system for the past 20 years. Right, and the past 20 years, we've seen the budget go from 40 billion dollars to over 90 billion dollars. Democrats didn't raise taxes. Democrats did not weigh, uh, raise the fees here. This was something that was created by the power that has control. So now, for them to come in and say, you know, C O N is the issue. Uh, uh, you know, we have to reduce these hospitals' control. Well. What have you been doing for the past 20 years? The CON what is the you ex-
0: Certificate of Need acronym. So how do you understand what's feeding the cost, higher costs, the increase in year-over-year costs of health care to the state budget, and how do you go about addressing it?
3: When you ignore something for so long, the reality of it is it accumulates, and it accumulates, and it accumulates to the point where now we're here. We have to deal with it. And cutting hospital Medicaid rates and cutting hospital rates and fees, That is those those positions are not going to address the issue. I am willing to say, yes, we have to pay more to be healthy, to say that we must do away with hospitals' uh, opportunities to provide health care to a, an ailing group of people. We have to say no to that.
0: House Speaker Jose Oliva did not talk to us about uh, eliminating hospitals, but rather trying to eliminate regulations that could encourage more hospitals to open up, increasing the supply of healthcare providers, uh, with the goal of uh, of addressing price and access, driving down prices, uh, increasing competition.
3: This is what they're saying. This is what this is what you're hearing. They want to privatize ha- hospitals. They've already moved in to privatize education. They're privatizing the roads. Everything is looking to be uh, privatized by the Republican leadership. And what happens when you privatize everything? You price everyday Floridians out of the market. So you don't think
0: increasing the hospitals, increasing the number of hospitals or taking actions that would reduce restrictions on how many hospitals and where hospitals can can locate would address health care costs in Florida generally and no, with the state specifically? No. no,
3: I'll I'll go on the record to say, no, what's going to end up happening is you're going to have, you're going to have a, 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 a public hospital on one corner. This is what they envision. The the Republicans envision, you're going to have a public hospital on one corner and literally across the street, you're going to have a private hospital. Now what's going to up happening is the private hospital is going to undercut the fees of the public hospital. Once that happens, it's gonna force the public hospitals now to run for cover. Once the public hospitals are out of the way, then the private hospitals come in and they increase the price, and now they have a a monopoly on our system. That's what it's all about. We've seen this in education. We've seen this play in, in transportation. We've seen this play before. However, this time they want to attack healthcare. They want to attack the hospitals. And this is something that we are not going we're not going to stand by idly and just watch happen.
0: Leader McGee, you also spoke about fighting for Medicaid expansion. This would be at least the third time uh, this has come up in front of the legislature if you're successful. Uh, what are your intentions in regards to that? and is that something that could, frankly hold up the budget approval process?
3: Uh, anything is possible, and everything is on the table at this moment.
0: Florida House Minority Leader Keon McGee. He represents parts of South Dade County. Now still to come, how education spending, the housing market, and a Republican pledge come together in the state budget.
2: The House budget will have no tax increases.
0: Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening and supporting Public Radio. After spending money on the health of Floridians, the next largest piece of state tax spending is on educating Floridians. About 30 cents of every dollar of state spending goes toward education. About half of the general revenue collected from sales taxes and other fees goes toward education, most of it spent in K through 12 schools. Now, school funding is divided between state money and local tax dollars. The local dollars come from property taxes. Most of the money spent in schools comes from state taxes now but it wasn't always like that. The legislature has been active in determining how much local schools can collect in property taxes and this decision is at the center of what the state legislature's chief economist Amy Baker calls the structural imbalance in the budget, spending growing faster than taxes and fees.
1: There is a policy decision embedded on how they go forward that would make the difference on whether they have a problem um, beginning next year um, or beginning the year after that, and that has to do with their assumptions on how much of the funding for K-12 through comes from the state general revenue fund um, versus how much comes from local property taxes. As the
0: housing market has rebounded, that has not necessarily led to significantly higher property tax bills for school districts. Over the past several years, the legislature has limited local school districts' property taxes by lowering the taxable rate, so the portion of a homeowner's property tax for schools remained relatively flat, even if the value of their home increased.
1: It used to be that the legislature, standing, just allowed that growth in the property tax roll to feed straight through. Um, several years ago, the, we had some members that raised the issue that they didn't want property taxes to keep increasing, that they wanted the level of the local property taxes to be flat from year to year and carry that entire burden on state revenue sources, largely the general revenue fund.
0: The result is more pressure on the state budget for K-12 education. As spending has increased to keep up with more students and other demands, the proportion of K-12 money coming from local school districts has fallen. Ten years ago, local school districts generated 53 cents of every dollar for school revenue. Last year, that had fallen to 45 cents. The difference comes from the general revenue in the state budget, stuff like sales taxes, corporate income taxes, and real estate sales taxes. This shift explains the warnings in the budget.
1: So the decision is not whether we should spend less on schools or not. I think there's a degree of comfort that there's growth that's needed um, in terms of state spending on schools, whether it comes from property taxes or general revenue, but to the extent you shift it to general revenue and away from property taxes, you are making a significant investment in that area and not having those dollars available for other things.
0: After all, you can only spend the same dollar once. Philosophically, Florida house leaders have considered a higher property tax bill because of rising property values to be a tax hike And the new Speaker of the House, Jose Oliva, is no different.
2: There are a couple of insidious things that governments do to taxpayers. One of them is that that you're sitting in your home, and through no power of your own, the value of your home went up, and now you have to pay more taxes. That's also insidious. And so we believe strongly in not raising taxes on people. And I think we've got, with $90 billion, we should be able to responsibly run the people's government. Uh, We don't believe that people should have their taxes raised on them simply based on market conditions.
0: So that you anticipate pushing that through, sponsoring something along those lines that has happened over the last several years to limit the, uh, uh, the local millage rate within school districts so that the property increase value is not kind of captured somehow in a higher property tax bill.
2: That's right. The, the, uh, the House budget will have no tax increases.
0: The budget proposal released on Friday by Governor DeSantis did not include any tax increases either. It continues the practice of offsetting higher local school property taxes by using general revenue, and it boosts state spending on education. The governor wants to increase per-student funding by $224, double this year's increase. That includes about $50 per student that won't come with strings attached from the state, requiring local districts to spend the money in certain ways. Last year, the districts complained the no-strings-attached state increase was just $0.47 per student. During the campaign, DeSantis pledged to spend 80% of education dollars in the classroom. As the legislative session gets underway in less than a month, it will be up to leaders like House Speaker Jose Oliva from Miami Lakes to decide what that means.
2: That's everything from teacher pay to the materials that are used in the classroom. It's everything that has to do with the direct effect of the teacher's interaction with the students. Uh, and it is less about what the building is costing, less about what the administration is costing. And so it is, it is more, it's more of our direction of being student centric and we support the governor in trying to have as much money follow the child and as much of that money be in that classroom. Is so at the end of the day, that's where the teaching occurs.
0: Do you think you'll be able to get to that 80% threshold within the budget?
2: I, I think it's a goal that's reachable. We, we're, we're certainly uh, trying to do everything we can, ever so frustrated by the continued pull on our budget of health care. But we're trying to get there, and I hope we certainly can uh, get there in this session.
0: How does that affect local decisions that school boards have to make regarding uh, the spending if the state is looking to meet an 80% spending in the classroom goal?
2: Well, I, I think that one of the, the sadder things is that uh, the local school boards, and not all of them, uh, but some of them see this, this, uh, the situation of the, the money following the child as in some way a disenfranchising of the services that they provide. Although, in most cases, a lot of public schools have improved significantly with the advent of competition in their area. And I, and I think that that would still continue. There are many people that are very happy with the public school that they send their child to, and I think that that's fantastic. Uh, but they should not see this as an adversarial thing. I think those, uh, those people that feel that a charter school is in some way undermining a public school have a greater concern for the institution of public school than they do for the learning of a child, than they do for the outcomes of the education of that child. If you focus all of your attention on there is a taxpayer-funded education being provided, is it being provided satisfactory? If you, if you, if you follow that, a lot of other of these other things take care of themselves but what I think we have in some cases again not all a lot of uh, a lot of districts have embraced charter schools they've seen the value of having them available and, and even the improvements that it's caused in, in the traditional public schools but charter schools are public they're just not public in the way that public schools like to think that they're public but at the end of the day are the outcomes better the answer is absolutely yes
0: Florida House Speaker Jose Oliva. Now, the state's high school graduation rate has been climbing from 69% a decade ago to over 86% last year. That includes public charter schools. Palm Beach, Broward, and Miami-Dade Public Schools reported higher graduation rates last year when removing charter schools from their district data. Still to come, the top Democrat in the Florida House on paying for schools.
3: The question is, why haven't the state done what it's supposed to do? The state has spelled us on more occasions than one.
0: We're back on the Sunshine Economy. Thanks again for listening. We're talking today about the state budget. I'm Tom Hudson. When lawmakers sit down to hammer out a state budget, they will have more money than first thought. As the state's economy, especially tourism, is booming, that means higher sales tax revenues, the main source of money for the state government. Now, the boost does not mean the budget process will be easy, though. Of course, there are politics in play, but there's also policy, especially the policy of restricting the ability of local school districts to increase their tax revenue through higher property values. The legislature has limited school districts' taxable rates, which has shifted more of the financial responsibility for paying for education to the state. The difference in the years ahead can mean tens of millions of dollars from state tax coffers, according to the legislature's chief economist, Amy Baker.
1: The swing in those, depending which year you're, you're looking at, is is very significant. You're looking at um, Potentially 300, 350 million, depending on what your what your decision ends up being. So it is um, money that the legislature would have to decide to invest in the school system from the state sources, and therefore it's not available for other new programs.
0: The Democratic leader of the Florida House, Keanu McGee, does not want to see this practice continue, as he focuses on his education priority, teacher pay.
3: We must first address uh, the teacher shortage here. You know, it, it makes no sense that Florida, the place where we have sunshine, tourism, uh, agriculture, we have it all. This this is the state where people um, um, want to be. They want to work. They want to live. But how can you entice them to come here when there's a teacher shortage? And my proposal is this: let's increase teachers' pay across the board. Let's assist with those um, um, teachers' aides and, and, and support staff. Let's also in, you know, increase their pay. You know, I'm looking at a 13% pay across the board. What that would do is at least bring us up to the national average. Now, I believe once we go ahead and address the issue with our teachers, what ends up happening is it trickled down to their performance in the classroom. It, it allows for them to focus on just this one job as opposed to having two and three jobs.
0: Leader McGee, how do you pay for that 13% across the board? Uh, teacher pay proposal?
3: Oh, that's easy. We redirect the tax cuts that have been given out for so long uh, to friends of those who've been who held power for the past 20 years. Look, we've gone through the past budgets, and what we found is the money that we've been looking for all this time um, has, has been in front of us for so long.
0: So the money's We're already in the budget, you think? The, money's the money is already oh, yes. being collected oh. by the state? You're not talking about oh. doing away with the previous tax cut, for instance, are you?
3: No the monies that we're looking for, it's already in the budget. The only thing we're gonna do is redirect uh, as opposed to giving more and more benefits and creating the wealth of those in the top one percent. We're simply saying we're gonna direct those to the people who are actually educating those who need, who aspire to be in the one
0: So you're and not talking means, about raising taxes. Or no we're not're no, not okay
3: as, are you as, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, we're gonna look we're we're going to look to reduce fees and lower taxes. Uh, we are we're not the party that raised taxes. Does we're, that include
0: I, the required local effort issue when it comes to the state portion of school funding, which has allowed rising home values to not be captured by uh, property taxes by local school districts?
3: Yeah. Look at the local effort, and the reality of it is, is they've been doing what they need to do. The question is, why haven't the state done what it's supposed to do? The state has spelled us on more occasions than one. Here we are in year 2019, and we are and we are talking about why is it that teachers in the state of Florida are at this moment knocking on the door of poverty. The study came out by the United Way, and it says that a in order for a family of four to survive in the state of Florida, that family needs to make at least 53. Thousand dollars annually. When you take the amount of work and energy that our teachers are putting into these students and putting into these classrooms on an annual basis, they are basically right now, if they were to commit a crime, one of them were to commit a crime, I would go on the record and say I'm 95% sure that they would actually qualify for the services of the public defender's office. Mm-hmm. Now, why, is, why do I use that? Because that goes to show you, that there is an issue of poverty as it relates to those who are educating you, me and family members alike. So if we are the ones who are saying we control the budget, but yet we refuse to address the annual uh, poverty rate and we we refuse to address the issues of jobs and how much these teachers are truly making, then we have failed them tremendously. And we've done it in a way that has basically uh, gone into support across this nation to say that Florida is not the right place for teachers. And I'm sick and tired of being in a position where we have to defend a system that's indefensible. This system is broken, and it's been broken for the past 20 years. And what we've seen is a continuation of breaking the system because we think we can do the same thing and expect a different result.
0: Leader McGee, let me ask you specifically, do you support the... Continuation of the strategy that previous legislatures have done in regards to the required local effort for school funding from local school districts, essentially limiting the uh, taxable rate at the local school district level.
3: No, no, I, I think I think I think when it comes down to the local school districts, and look, Tom, you and I both know Tip O'Neill once stated that um, all politics is local, right? Um. The reality of it is is I would rather allow the local people, the local elected officials, the local power brokers, the local um, supporters to determine what needs to happen. I, I, don't, I don't believe that the state should be in the business of telling the local communities what to do. If they want to tell the local communities what to do, then we ought to say to the state lawmakers, that get, get your act together. Get your act together before you attempt to tell them how to control and how to actually build out their local effort
0: requirements. So, Leader McGee, just to be clear here, this is an issue where the uh, uh, legislature has taken this stance over the last couple of sessions. And uh, House Speaker Oliva has said that he will likely continue this uh, issue of not having local school districts be able to capture rising home values when it comes to the property taxes levied locally. That is something that you are opposed to, is that correct? Correct. Do you see that as a tax increase? No. Speaking via Skype with the head of the Florida Democratic House membership, that is Representative Keon McGee. His district straddles the Florida Turnpike from South Dade County down to Florida City. The Florida State Legislative Session begins in March. You can follow us on Twitter, at WLRN is our handle. You can continue that conversation on social media. Also look for a podcast of this program by searching Sunshine Economy on iTunes. Pilar Ebe is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week.